Welcome, everyone. I'm Stan the Rhino Efforting, the world's strongest pro bodybuilder, and you're listening to the History of Strength Sports podcast. Okay, guys. So welcome along to another episode of the History of Strength Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jacob, and today on the show, I'm honored to be joined by James R. Fuller. So he's Mr. Strongman Archaeology himself. And we followed James on his page since the, the history of strength sports began, really. Um, and James is a really talented lifter himself. And he's built a huge community around the old time lifts, the athletes and the implements used in the history of strength. Um, James has been a really valuable resource for me personally, for my own research for the posts and podcasts. Um, so I'm really excited to have him on the show today. And I'm sure today's conversation will be one of a few in the future. So we just want to use today and um, sort of get to know James a little bit bit and learn about him and his training so James I'll uh, I'll hand over to you so you, can you give us a little bit of a an introduction to yourself and, and how you got into all this lifting stuff uh well I I after I mentioned to you that uh, there's a lot of background to the, the social aspect of it when I began and I actually did a post earlier for me it would have been late last night I don't know if you saw that I, I kind of talked about talked about that because it's, it's hard to set it up so I kind of gave that for people to read that mm-hmm. and then come see the podcast because uh, there's a lot to it. Uh, but I, back when I started, there was nothing good about lifting and lifting wasn't powerlifting. It wasn't weightlifting. It was bodybuilding. Yeah. Um, the only people that did weightlifting were if you lived in a town that had a gym, it was a weightlifting gym, or if you had a family member or a family friend that did it. Same thing with powerlifting and, and Bodybuilding was underground, but not as underground as powerlifting or weightlifting was. Bodybuilding had Arnold Schwarzenegger, so he was doing well with the Conan movies. So he, you know, and uh, you want to sell something. I mean, Arnold was really mind-blowing. We had never seen anyone like that on TV before, not to that extent. And so uh, all the magazines pushed but sold, which was bodybuilding, you know. So there was no Powerlifting USA on the newsstands you know, in most places, unless you're in a big city. So if you were going to take up training, you were going to take up bodybuilding, you know. Uh, I never saw weightlifting shoes until CrossFit came out and made everybody wear weightlifting shoes, even when they're sitting down to pop a squat in the bathroom. You know, it's just amazing. I never saw bumper plates until a few years ago when CrossFit came around. So it's really a different time that I came from. And so the reason why I'm taking so much time to set that up is because I got into it because I had sciatica. I was a teenager, a young teenager. I was about 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, well, both my parents have lower back issues. So I figured it was genetic. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, well, I'm just going to train, do some bodybuilding. Because I was liking bodybuilding. But I'm like, well, this actually seems like I'm going to do some bodybuilding and get my back strong enough that I can still go to work. Sure. There was no thought back then that you could get better with lifting. There was none of that. There was no health benefits to it. I mean, I think it was in high school when the first person, uh, Joyce Verdral, PhD, she's written a lot of books about fitness. Mm-hmm. And she was the first one. She had an uncle that got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And she took a lot of flack for putting him on a diet, getting him to lose a bunch of weight. And he didn't need his insulin anymore. Yeah. And, and it was considered dangerous and risky and, and really reckless behavior. You know, because it was just, it was just thought once you got your type two diabetes, it's just a slow decline. Yeah. You know, there was no idea that you could control it. I mean, really, I'm responsible for my own health. You know, if I control what I put into my mouth and how much I work out and take care of myself, I don't have to get diabetes. 
you know, because it, it, it was always seemed like it was just a lottery. You may get it, you may not. There was nothing you could do about it. Yeah. Or the idea at the time that you peaked at 30 physically, and there was really nothing you could do. You know, anyone that worked out after 30, it was kind of the attitude of like, well, he, he just doesn't want to face the truth. So let him be happy. Let him do his thing. And now we see master's athletes doing crazy things. You know, we got 80-year-olds doing what 60-year-olds used to do yeah. 20 years ago. It's just crazy. So out of ignorance, I didn't realize that getting stronger and, and getting uh, more built was going to actually make the pain go away. And it did. I was like, okay, well, I just thought that was luck, you know, because even chiropractic back then was thought of as being fake. Like there was no legitimacy to being a chiropractor then. Wow. We're talking early 80s. Mm-hmm. So maybe in different parts of the world, it might have had a better outlook on it. But I can tell you where I'm from in the States. No, you know. It, it was, you know, there's, there's nothing you can do. You're going to, you might do some training for high school or college to help your sports maybe, but the idea of doing that outside of a specific sports goal, mm-hmm. no, you know? Yeah. So, and yeah. that's what got me started. That was that injury and, and healing it, but that's it wasn't because I was so smart. It was just out of just, well, I, I'm going to work someday. So I better get strong enough that I can still hurt and go to work. Yeah, that's really interesting. So was that sort of an autonomous decision for you to, to seek out lifting weights or did you have a family friend or coach or something that kind of... Um, no, no. no, no. No, one of, one of the benefits of the fact that uh, the booklet that came with the, with the weight set back then, I'm not, the booklets back then included a lot of all-time exercises mm-hmm. that they don't include anymore that nobody talks about. So the hack lift the Jefferson lift. I've been doing that just as long as I've been doing a deadlift. Yeah. Because it was in my booklet. And it's not like I had an uncle who was a powerlifter. It's like, okay, we only do deadlifts. You know, we don't do that other stuff. So being an impressionable kid who didn't know anything, you're going to trust the literature. Yeah. And uh, so it kind of hit me that when I saw the hack lift, which is the bar behind you, and the deadlift with the bar in front of you, and then a Jefferson lift, the bar with the foot on each side of the bar, it kind of clicked in my head, like, okay, bar in front, bar in behind, bar in between my feet. And so right away, I thought, well, I can do whatever I want with this bar. I don't have to just use it in front of me. Yeah. So I've always been open to however it works, it works. And Bruce Lee was a big influence. Okay. His, his, his Jeet Kune Do, take what's useful, forget the rest. And I thought, well, that, that would apply to anything I would think. So I've always applied that to my lifting. So if it's useful, I keep it. If it's not, I dump it. And sometimes I'll revisit things to see if it, what might've worked for your first 300 pound deadlift might work for your 400 pound, but maybe not your first 500 pound. Mm -hmm. And something may not work until you're deadlifting 500 pounds. So maybe you want to go back and check a technique that maybe didn't work when you were weaker. Yeah. Because either you're either a, your body is more prepared for it and, or B, you more understand the point they were trying to get across. Mm-hmm. You know? So there's really, you're not going to get much out of a, a strict program. Yeah. You know, that's not the point. The, pro, the point is the program is an outline. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's really like trying to see how it speaks to you and seeing what you can um, get out of it. And if you're expecting the program to be all the answers for you, well, we know that your life and my life is different. My, my answers are not going to be the same as your answers. So why would you expect a program 
to have the same answers for you as it does for me. It's not, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm but so anyway, so, so the booklet kind of, out of just sheer dumb ignorance, I've been heck-looking in Jefferson lifts and deadlift. I can do them all over 600 pounds. And I feel just as at home Jefferson lift or deadlift or hack. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, you mentioned about Bruce Lee being a, a big influence on your on yourself. Oh, and yeah. To be honest, growing up, um, he was for me as well because I was I was into my martial arts. Um, was, was there any other sports that came alongside your strength training? Was there any martial arts training or anything like that as well? No, we were we were pretty poor. Some of the kids I grew up with had dirt floors in their home, and so uh, it was. Um, it's it's hard to explain, but if people when they talk about being poor, it's like you you didn't really have a lot. Um, you know, you're you're worried about how to get a school lunch and school lunch was 10 cents a day you yeah. know and your family had to really scrimp and save to make sure you had 10 cents a day to get that school lunch yeah. and it, it's fine because we were all like that it's not like you were the only kid in the neighborhood we were all like that, you yeah. know so sports were you know um, not it would have to be a cheap sport like it wouldn't be hockey mm-hmm. you know but I, I uh, so I did running in junior high because that's pretty cheap yeah and I bought my own sneakers and I ran and then um, only because they didn't have soccer or what everyone else calls football. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to high school, I did soccer and bought my own cleats for that, you know, and, uh, and through the javelin, through the javelin all four years and played soccer all through high school. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Cheapest way to go. Martial arts was too expensive. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> just like having just well, just like having a gym membership was too expensive. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, and um, kind of similar for me, really. I did obviously martial arts was a side piece, but um, yeah, running. Mm-hmm. And I, I took up the javelin as well. That was kind of the only oh. athletic event that that I was any good at at school, and kind of represented yeah, yeah. county and and whatever for that. So um, yeah. yeah. So to dive into your your training a little bit, you mentioned kind of the the holistic approach. I mean that word can be can be used out of context sometimes but by holistic i mean that you said you know you see, see the barbell as an implement not just to be used in front of but you know you can also use right. it behind the body and you know between the legs and things so if people haven't seen your videos you're obviously incredibly strong very mobile and utilize quite a lot of implements so tell us about your own training and, and kind of how that's all put together and, and has it changed since you first started well yeah it was it was mostly bodybuilding in the beginning mm-hmm. you know because I started out with just the booklet, but then I started listening to the bodybuilding magazines, which was a bad idea because they often would lie to you and um, promote a company line, like a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would definitely have this thing of like, well, we don't do bent presses anymore. And we don't do a side press. And, you know, this is bodybuilding. Yeah. That was the predominant thing. So it's all about the maximum muscle mass is all that mattered, mm-hmm. along with keeping your waist small. So having a nice new taper. Um, but definitely a lot of years, about 20 years of bodybuilding. And I, I would came up with some of my own things because I remember reading that, uh, um, a muscle that's been stretched first has a stronger contraction than one that hasn't been stretched first. So it's a myoatic reflex or the stretch reflex. Yeah. And, uh, so I started incorporating well, immediately in my dumb head, because I'm just putting two and two together, you're telling me 
all right, if I, if I get a stretch first, I'm gonna get a stronger contraction. Mm -hmm. So to me, in my mind, that says, if the more stretch movements you do in your training with weights, the stronger you're gonna be. So I trained a lot of flexibility. I learned that you could get very flexible with weights by training the stretch position. Mm -hmm. So I trained a lot of stretch position with the weights. Yep. So that made me even, it, it didn't just make me flexible. It made me strong through the entire range of motion. I can, I can get someone to touch the floor with their leg, bend over and touch the floor with their legs locked. Yeah. But all that's really doing, if they're not using it, that's just making a looser joint in the knee, in the ankle. It's not doing anything. It's not developing a kinetic awareness of how to use that part of their body, right? Yeah. They just know what hurts back there, but they can't tell you anything. But if I show them how to do a good morning and I have 10 kilo plates under each foot, under the front of the feet, not the back, but the front, and I have them do good mornings, and I have them do sets of like 20 reps and we add a little weight, do 20 more reps. The weight is going to slowly pull them down. They don't even have to try. The weight will slowly suggest to your body, hey, go a little deeper. You don't even have to force it. But after a certain point, you're going to drop, 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 drop. Mm -hmm. So you're lifting, lowering, lifting, lowering, and sensor concentric. So now you're not just making a more mobile, longer muscle tissue, but you're actually developing and you're learning how to use it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was doing with my training of bodybuilding. For 20 years or so yeah that makes sense that's really interesting it sounds like you're in your own training you don't just think about the strength aspect you're also thinking about the the mobility the the flexibility the the longevity of those movements as well which is really interesting well well the thing is i i was a very active kid mm -hmm. rode my bike jogging five miles wasn't a big deal i love to run Climbing trees, building snow forts, as well as started working when I was seven, you know, uh, outside of school, splitting wood by hand, mowing lawns, raking leaves. Mm -hmm. I've always been active. I like the feeling of being active. So I wanted to maintain some of that with my training, the ability to still be able to do splits and to be able to run and jump and do stuff. You know? sure. So why not try to keep that movement? You know, I've, I've seen people that are very strong, but they can't move. And I'm like, nah, no. I don't care if it's another 50 kilos on my squat. If I got to move like that, I don't want it. I want to be able to move. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, I completely I understand that. Being strong is great. Don't get me wrong. But being able to move rocks too, you know. <laughs> yeah, I get that feeling. I'm pursuing powerlifting at the moment. And I've just started dabbling in the, in the single ply gear as well, which I know you're not necessarily a, a fan of. But it's, um, yeah, I do get that feeling. And I, and I feel like. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a. Um, there's sort of a point that it will get to there's the trade-off because I know that my mobility and everything has has declined and I'm just becoming a single plane quote-unquote athlete and I'm just moving in that single way and yeah, yeah. like I said I'd, I'd love to be able to move in different ways and be able to complete these different movements so there's a, uh, a time limit on that I think <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah and I, I respect anyone geared or not any, anyone who's willing to push themselves and get a little nervous with how much weight they just took off the rack and maybe they shouldn't be doing that right now. <laughs> I have, I have all the respect in the world for people that are willing to push themselves. Um, it, it, it's like in my strongman group when I was competing in strongman, it's just, we didn't care where you started. We didn't care what strength level you were, as long as you had heart, as long as you gave it your best mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter 
if a PR is 100 pounds or 500 pounds, it, it lights everybody up. Yeah. You know, because it's like the saying about a tide raises all ships. Yeah. You know, so if one of us does good, it raises us all up and all feel energized by that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't care if, if it's Dan Bell who's killing it as a, as a power lifter in, in uh, knee wraps or, or if it's, um, or if it's uh, uh, Al Halzahov, who did a 1300 pound squat, I think, or something close to that uh, from Israel. Oh yeah, yeah. I forget his name. Eight, yeah, Azov or something like that. Yeah, didn't just a yeah, yeah. Saying and, and, yeah, it is like you know, I, I love it when people talk about steroids or, or wearing the, the suits, the squat suits and the bench shirt. And I'm like, the suit and the steroids don't make you put 1,300 pounds on your back and think I can dip down and back up with this. That it takes some mental fortitude. Okay, guys. Yeah, like you gotta. Anyone that disparages that because of steroids or because of the suits or both is an idiot. They're missing out on the big point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good to hear because those, yeah, it is It is sort of reflected on in different ways by different groups and people can be fairly judgmental of the of the niches of, of strength. But yeah, like you said, you've got to respect it all and to put any amount of weight on your back and do any exercises, yeah, it's it takes, takes guts. Yeah, it does. So I... I... I, I love all any great performance, you know. Yeah. Would I want to do it? Maybe I, I don't agree with what they call squat depth. It doesn't matter. I'm not competing in it. It's what they're doing, it's what they agree to, it's what their competitors are also doing. They're happy, and it's still more weight than I'll ever use. I'm just gonna sit over there, shut up with a stupid grin on my face as I watch them do it. You know? <laughs> sure. yeah. So when Talk to us a little bit about the the old time lift specifically, because you've got some really interesting movements that you utilize in your training. Um, just some examples, the the gobble squats that you've been talking about, the pullover and presses and things like that. Um, where did the the inspiration for those come from and how did your interest in that side of it specifically develop? Um, for example, are there any athletes um, from, from the sort of previous eras well, that you're inspired by? Well, it's to me, it's an interesting story, and I hope everyone else finds it interesting. Um, George Olison of Denmark, who still posts on Instagram, I think he just turned 60 and he's still squatting four, uh, 185 kilos. I'm trying to talk kilos for everyone. Um, <laughs> but that's 185 kilos, 407 pounds. I think he just squatted it for a double. Nice. He just turned 60. But he, he was a professional strong man. I don't know if you ever heard of him. I haven't known. Uh, he's known for... Um, for picking up 700 pounds by just his middle finger. Wow. Okay. So that'd be 300 and what, 40 kilos. Well, well, I think he wound up doing 340 at one point. What's that? 340, 680, maybe, maybe 330. Yeah. But anyway, somewhere over 700 pounds. He's done it a couple of times by just his middle finger. Um, Iron Man magazine did a profile on him and he was on the cover of the May 1997 issue. Mm-hmm. and uh, he's got one arm that's like three inches bigger than the other one, and that's the one that he uses to do the 700-pound deadlift. It's yeah. all the tension, you know what I mean? Sure. Because it's, it's funny, a little aside, and I won't go long, but when I switched over from bodybuilding to powerlifting, gone through a divorce, out of shape, said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something new to kind of reestablish my identity. Told my best friend, no going for a size anymore. I'm not doing the bodybuilding. Forget it. I've done it for 20 years. I'm done. 
take up powerlifting and within a within a couple of months he's like i what happened to not going for size where did all this muscle come from and i'm like i have no idea well it's because i never worked heavy fives and threes before because i was always a bodybuilder yeah well, all that tension if you're if you've got if you've got a weight on your back you can do eights and tens with that's not putting a lot of stress uh, uh tension on your whole body as you stand there and hold it Sure. You start training fives and threes, you've got all this extra tension throughout your whole body to hold it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what had happened to George's arm by picking up 700 pounds. Yeah. Okay. Even, even when he's deadlifting, he looks like his bicep is flexed. His arm is flexed. That's how big it is. Yeah. So they said, hey, you want a bicep like George's? We're not going to tell you to do a middle finger deadlift like he does. We'll tell you to do a one-hand dumbbell deadlift. Mm-hmm. So I did it. It didn't do anything for my arm that I remember because I was too busy realizing that it blew up my deltoids. I tried it with each side and it blew up my deltoids like nothing I'd ever done. Sure. At that moment, I realized there's stuff out there I'm missing out on Mm -hmm. that I have listened to the bodybuilding magazine say, no, no, we don't need to do that. That's old stuff. We don't do that anymore. This is bodybuilding. And this is the newer, better bodybuilding because everything, everyone, doesn't matter if it's car manufacturers, doesn't matter if it's laptops, doesn't matter if it's phones. Guess what they're always trying to tell you? That the newest thing out, you got to have because it's better than anything you've ever had before. Cool. So, yeah. Even though it's just repackaged, same thing or close enough. Mm-hmm. But that was the beginning of me going, I bet you I'm missing out on. So how many other things are there out there that would blow up my quads like never before or my calves or my pecs? That was a big eye opener that mm-hmm. I had. I, I've been... I've had enough Kool-Aid. It's time to go drink from the, from the water of knowledge, the fountain of knowledge, so to speak. Yeah. And that was the beginning of me trying to seek out. And remember, no internet for me at that point. So uh, just, just finding whatever old exercises in any of the magazines or any books I could and slowly started to piece together lifting, old-time lifting, mm-hmm. you know, with the power lifting I was doing and took up Olympic weightlifting at uh, 35 years old. Oh, great. Wow. And that... Did, did some incredible stuff for my shoulders as well. Stuff I never had really broad shoulders, mm-hmm. but the weightlifting really blew up my delts. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot of stuff of it. You know, so here I, I go from 20 years of bodybuilding, powerlifting jacks on a bunch of mass from the tension of holding heavy weight, either on the bench, on the squat or the deadlift, heavy weights than I've ever used. Mm-hmm. The reps are down. So it's going to be different than doing high bodybuilding burning uh, getting into the lactic acid ATP to ADP, adding a phosphate to make it ATP again, the Krebs cycle, I think it's called. Yeah. And instead of doing that, you're getting your muscular size instead of, um, cause to me, the higher rep bodybuilding stuff, it kind of makes you better at storing glycogen. It makes you store more. So you have more energy mm-hmm. to me. That's what I always think of as muscle size, as far as anaerobic endurance versus aerobic endurance. Sure. Well, if I want to raise my anaerobic endurance, I'm going to need more glycogen, which is the stored glucose in the muscles, right? So I'm going to need more of that, which means the muscles are bigger so they can store more glucose or glycogen, I should say. So to me, the size you get from heavy training is the tension, the isometric work of just holding that weight, you know? And because it's not, you're going to be having that extra tension as you perform your reps. That wasn't there. If you're doing eights and tens and twelves, it's a totally different animal than doing fives, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's why they say that bodybuilders that had a heavy lifting training background have a density that the ones, other ones don't have. Yeah. You know, it kind of makes sense once you think about it. I, 
I can't give you a lot of scientific studies or, or I don't really get into that. I'm more into what works, what doesn't, yeah. you know, I'd rather talk to a Mr. Olympia competitor than someone who's maybe makes this, the results say what they want them to say, because a lot of people make results say what they want to say, mm-hmm. you know? So how about we look at meat results and more important than meat results is how many people have they helped to do well as well. Just because you do well, doesn't mean you're good at teaching others to do Sure. You know, so the powerlifting's put this size on me. The weightlifting is fixed shoulder problems I've had since I was a kid, and it blew up my delts. And I, I'm sitting there going, man, I'm, I've been really missing out on a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of more and more and more start getting online, start realizing about, start reading more about old-time strongman. I realized the reason why I started my Facebook page is because I was upset that there wasn't a, um, a big library of um, video library of old time lifts. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I'm going to do it. And if I'm doing it wrong, I'm hoping some of the old timers will go, Hey, jerk face, you're doing that wrong. Do this and this. Okay, great. Thanks. I'll go fix it. I'll go do it. Right. But I, there was no reference. I was, I think I started that in 2013. I started strongman archeology span and just started putting up my training videos of the old time lifts. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm either going to, be a pioneer of this or people are going to correct me and say i'm screwing it up or a bit of both i don't know yeah definitely and i think you've created just that from my perspective and i, I was on your facebook page earlier this morning and you know people are submitting their own videos to you of the old time list yeah. i think it's just the interest may have been always there but the work you're doing is kind of um yeah keeping keeping it fresh and keeping it in in, in the forefront of people's minds well I got distracted for a while. I competed in all around weightlifting, which is basically all the lifts that aren't powerlifting or weightlifting. Yeah. So in the United States, it's called the United States All Around Weightlifting Association. Sure. And pretty much outside of that, international meets are called the International All Around Weightlifting Association. Mm. And um, it's fun. I like doing it. And I, I was competing in powerlifting, weightlifting, strongman, and all all around lifting. So I was always busy. I was always in trying to fit all that different type of training into a schedule. Make your your training routines get really interesting. But what I thankfully discovered is I was just doing it because I'm, I'm a history guy. You know, I like old trucks. Uh, I've got an old 41 Dodge world war two military four by four pickup. Uh, I like older vehicles. And um, so I was doing it just to kind of, see what the, the guys went through, the old time strongmen went through, what kind of lifts they were doing. And then I started realizing, you know, this has actually got something to offer here. You know, like I've helped people that haven't been able to squat with a bar in their back in 20 years by having them start doing an arthur lift with a broomstick or a very light bar. Yeah. So you start with it behind you and you kind of do a quick hack lift up over your hips, turn your arms over, turn your hands over, hop it up the back. You can either traditionally it's a the author lift would be from there a jerk, which back when Saxon was uh, back when Saxon was doing it back in the early 1900s, a jerk was defined wasn't as defined as it is today. You didn't have to do two bends of the knee. You could either do a push press or a jerk. Right. So I started having one person I remember doing that, and they were able to start squatting with a barner back for the first time in 20 years. Wow, amazing. I'm starting to realize that, you know, a lot of these lifts 
require you to be very flexible, very mobile, very able-bodied, literally. And what's ironic is how many people have said, what I do is dangerous, what I show others to do is dangerous. And I'm like, so you're telling me there's something that prevents you from using too much weight and it makes you move more is dangerous. Okay. If you want to say, look, I like using a squat rack and I like doing quarter reps on my squats for 500 pounds, even though I couldn't do a, a, an Astagrass with 300 pounds, with 315, or I should say 140 kilos, yeah. you know, uh, or you can use five plates on a quarter squat, but you can't use three plates on a full squat. Okay. Just say you like doing that, but don't say it's dangerous, sure. you know, because you're missing out on a big range of motion and you're going to get hurt eventually. Because mm-hmm. what happens when you fall? Or something happens that you have to go into the part of the range of motion you've never trained. Yeah. Your body's not prepared, you know, it's not doing athletes any favors either. You know. So if you do an Arthur lift, or if you do a Steinborn lift, you're using the whole body. You know, if you if you have a if you have a kid that can use four plates on a Steinborn lift in high school and they're playing rugby or football, it's gonna be a pretty resilient kid. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so and there's a bit of mental tenacity that goes with it when you realize you don't need a squat rack anymore or power rack. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You get pretty aggressive. I mean, I've done, what have I done? Close to two, like 195 kilos on a Steinborn. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 200, 200 is 441. Yeah. I've done like 195 on a Steinborn. That's amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Um, yeah, so yeah we jumped around a, a ton there so just circling back to your your experience com- competing with the all-round weightlifting so that seems like a really interesting organization i think they've got over over 200 lifts that they they compete in so what's oh, that yeah, at least yeah what's that experience like and, and kind of what do you see the future of that competitive side of the old time lifts how do you see that going well i don't because i got away from it um right. it's it's, uh, once I realized that competition kind of kills the essence of it, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not trying to be negative about the organization, but it's like, I don't, I don't want to train people who are worried about trying to set a record on a one-hand snatch or a bent press. I would rather train people that want to use these lifts to express themselves. Like Bruce Lee... Bruce Lee always called weightlifting expressing the body. And so I kind of think of it that way. And I'd rather use these old time lifts to help fix mobility issues and strength issues. I'd rather not have them viewed through the lens of competition because then you just worry about competition and you start cutting corners and you do whatever it takes to lift more weight. Yeah. And that's, I'd rather be more, I'd rather more because I'm a born again Christian. I feel like I have a calling to help people. Sure. Um, feel better, move better. And I don't think competition is really the answer. I mean, it's, some people, they love competing and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, I'd rather focus on what the lift can do for you, yeah. not becoming a slave to the lift and trying to outperform the performance, the previous performance. So I don't know what's going on much with it because I don't follow it much anymore. I haven't competed in it in years. Last thing I did was I set a world record on the self-loaded leg press with 135 kilos, I think, something like that. Yeah. And 
it, it helps to have a little street cred to be able to say, well, I've done these in competition. So I've had a, have had judges pass them. So I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But uh, the self-loaded leg press, you never going to lose too much weight. You're limited by your upper body strength. And you and I both, you know, your, your lower body can do way much more work than your upper body. Yeah. So anything you can get to your feet is, should be at least 12 to 15 reps. Yeah. You know, so I've taken 145, maybe 150 kilos and done 20 reps with it, you know? Yeah. And it really opens up your groin. It helped an ankle issue, ankle issue I had. It can help open up your lower back. Mm -hmm. um, it has a lot of great benefits to it, you know? Yeah. But you're never going to use a thousand pounds or 500 kilos like you see a lot of people do and do these partial reps and all that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's funny you should mention the the Arthur lift. That's one that I wanted to touch on with you. So sure. that's where the the bar's taken up to sit on the lower back, and then you kind of work it up your your body that way. Sure. I mean, it. I mean, admittedly, it does look painful, but it does look like mm. it takes a lot of of skill and strength. Um, how does that fit into your training? Because I've I've not actually seen you utilize a squat rack other than your videos kind of at the gym. Is that generally how you get the weights overhead? Well, either either I uh, will clean or um, hop the bar up the back on the arthur. So yeah. either through cleans or or bent press. I like to do heavy bent presses and I do uh, I've done one hand get ups up to about 70 kilos. Wow. You know, so yeah. Um, but it's like it's like anything. I you know remember the first time we went to the gym and, and somebody showed us how to squat, mm -hmm. and we all did the same thing. The same for me. It's like no kid, you'll be fine. Just suck it up, and eventually it'll feel normal. You know. Yeah. Well, we all forget that. You know, it's like trying to get people to do something different. I, you have to remind them, hey, even even the bench press felt wrong the first time you did it. Yeah, yeah. It felt weird. You know, so everything's going to feel weird for a while. So you get used to it. Mm -hmm. And the Arthur lift is one of those things. Like it's so funny. Like every person I've ever worked with, within a couple of workouts, they're like, oh, "Okay, okay." And I don't have them start with a, you know, I have them start with a broomstick. Yeah. You know. And then I have them go with a light exercise bar, which is you know five kilos, six kilos. And I just you know, and then they they kind of like start liking the challenge of can I get that up my back? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so I'll have them use it if they're going to do behind the neck presses or presses to the front. Well, why don't you just take the bar from the floor and hop it up the back? Like learn not to do stuff with the rack of the stands, learn to get it from the floor to overhead. So if you, even if you just use it on your press day and you hop the bar up your back for your presses, mm -hmm. you're going to keep your shoulders open, you know? Yeah. So you've got built in mobility work. When I program for people, they can't skip it even if they want to, because if you're going to do presses, I'm telling you, you have to get it up your back first. So the mobility work is built in with the strength work. Yeah. Because what's the first thing people skip out on when they're, when they don't have time, people always are running out of time. Always. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'll, I'll just skip the mobility work, go right to the lifting. Oh, yeah. too bad. You're either doing, <laughs> either doing both or none with, yeah. with what I'm showing you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're hitting a really good point as well, as well with the, with the old time lifts, it's the challenge of the lifts. I know for myself when yeah. when we I was living in the UK last year during lockdown and I, I just had a bar and some weights so I thought you know how can I make this fun and interesting so I was doing one hand deadlifts I was doing one hand snatches and all this kind of stuff um, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. yeah it's, it's the it's the challenge of it and it's um something that you don't see very often and and it's something that's not necessarily feel feeling natural it's the challenge aspect mm. of it um so what mm. about your your training at the moment i mean do you have i wanted to kind of talk to you about your training philosophies and and kind of i call them mantras but things you try and stick to through your your training now so so for me i kind of i tend to favor at the moment an upper body lower body split i like to have a goal per session whether that's to hit a weight for x amount of reps or x amount of reps on a different exercise or something like that and, mm. and obviously use the sportive equipment to overload so what do you like to what keeps your training true as in do you have a routine where you do um you try and hit a heavy i don't know lower body exercise and upper body exercise what does your training look like at the moment um so i have uh i have like three weightlifting workouts okay so there's a snatch workout there's a clean workout there's a jerk workout and in between those workouts is usually a bent press or a side press or a seated bent press and then the workout another workout that's in between those is um get-ups mm -hmm one hand get ups for the lateral work in the rotation work. Yeah. And then I also have a workout for um, a variation of a pullover and press to balance out the, um, the snatches and the cleans and the jerks and all that. Yeah. You know, that's basically what I'm doing. And then grip work is a little bit built into there, but I also have specific grip work. I like to do sometimes I'll work grip four or five days in a week, you know, okay. but I, I love working grip and, Working heavy grip isn't like working heavy squats. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you can not, train it more often. Fun. Yeah, you can get a. You, yeah, you get a bit more leeway with that. Definitely. Yeah. Is there anything you're working up to at the moment in terms of you'd like to hit a particular exercise for a, a particular weight, or is that not something that you um, sort of concentrate on? My goal is uh, to be hitting a three. Uh, 140 kilo split snatch by the end of the year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah the amount of coordination and strength and speed for that would be, yeah, that'd yeah. be phenomenal to see. It, I tell you, it feels so good, man. When you're doing split snatches, that's, and I, and I, every other set, I alternate which leg goes back and which yeah. leg stays forward. Yeah. Because you know what? I don't think there's anyone on the Olympic team worried about me showing them up anytime soon. So, you know what? I'm not worried about max, max weight. Yeah, I got a goal I want to hit. Mm. But you know what? The older you get, the more it's going to add up all the times that you favored one side over the other. Yeah. And as you get older, I think you need to get more aware and conscious of your lateral deficiency. Mm -hmm. Left to right. How much more you're twisted one way than the other because you're right-handed or left-handed. Yeah. And I think it becomes more important to start balancing that out. You know, which is why you see me doing more like seated bent presses. Yeah. You know, that really even stuff out. People will tell me, wow, I didn't realize how far off my two sides were. Yeah. And they'll start doing that. And be like, oh, and go, yeah. So try to, you know, get within 10% of each other, yeah. you know. Um, but when you're doing snatches, those split snatches, man, it stretches your legs out, the foot speed, the timing, the coordination. And, yeah. And it really, um, Man, if you got tight hip flexors, you won't have to do it in split snatches. I tell you what, buddy. Holy cow. But there's just so much good there. It just seems foolish 
if I'm already doing a squat clean, why do I need to do a squat snatch? Mm -hmm. Right. So why not mix it up? Why not get that bilateral, you know, that, 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 uh, get those, that lateral, um, equaled up, evened up. Yeah. 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 It's funny. You should say that I hundred percent agree. I think there's something so special and just so it just feels so fulfilling to to rip a weight off the ground for a jerk or a snatch um and in my own training although i'm pursuing powerlifting about once every six weeks i'll have a an olympic lifting day which granted i, sure. I can't use much weight with it at the moment but um it's just a very special feeling to just throw yourself under a bar in that way the the weightlifting that they do today versus the old style that was used in the olympics because you used to not be able to touch the body at all. So it was pretty much a dip, grip, and rip. Yep. And the old school um, weightlifters before the rule change, allowing the bar to touch you on the way up, and now they, they get pretty pretty violent contact at times. Well, back then it was more of a, of a mid-back, mid-upper back and arms pull. Mm -hmm. And today it's more of a leg drive off the floor and to snap it up. You know what I mean? And so the old timers were um, very good deadlifters. You know, you got John Terry in uh, 1939 in the 60 kilo class who could deadlift about 275, you know, yeah. in 1939. Yeah. John Davis, he was the first man to clean and jerk 400, you know, 400 pounds. Mm -hmm. And the first time he did a deadlift, he did 705. Wow. Yeah. But that was that old school weight. Yeah. But the stuff they do today, it's unlike any other thing you're going to do with a weight ever. It's yep. very interesting. I mean, if you can, I would recommend people, if you just get a coach and do it for six months, it's kind of like learning a martial art that maybe you'll never, ever use, mm -hmm. but it's good to understand it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting because basically you're using your legs to lift a weight overhead that there's no way you could do it with your upper body. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. You know, very interesting. Yeah. I think you're right. It's uh, Olympic weightlifting turned into such, you know, to look from an outsider's perspective at Olympic weightlifting. Now the movement is so strange and that the, the catch position is very, very odd um yeah it's just turned into a very interesting sport but it's interesting you say about how the the lifts used to be and how that contributed to the old time of strength in things like the deadlift because it was mid and upper back rather than yes. yeah the the leg drive yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 it's different so it's it's uh it's very interesting like when you look at if you look at um the video footage of john davis when he uh clean and jerk the um Apollon's wheels mm -hmm. And uh, you notice when he cleans it, it's not touching his body. Yeah. That's pretty. Now, this is a guy that weighs not maybe 105 kilos. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the same thing with, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Norbert Shemansky also. Yeah. He cleaned it and then jerked it three times. He cleaned it double overhand because he had an exceptionally strong grip. Wow. Okay. And then they gave it to Tommy. They put it on Tommy Kono's shoulders because there's no way he could clean it. And he only weighed about, um, it's, it's 80, 176, no, uh, 70. So I think he weighed 75 kilos and he jerked it. 
he jerked the wheels, even though he only weighed 75 kilos. So it was about 200 pounds over his body weight. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something else I want to touch on, on with you. You've mentioned those specific sort of old time feats and things. What are, you, what are some of your favorite sort of moments in strength history? Any, any lifts or athletes that, that you're really intrigued by or that really, um, yeah, are, are most impressive to yourself? Well, let me, let me preface that by saying there are some I don't talk about. I don't talk bad about them, but I don't talk about them if I'm not sure what they did or didn't do. Yep. Uh, and it doesn't bother me. It's like when people claim that somebody did a lift, but it's only because of steroids. I don't care. Yeah. If it inspires me, if it inspires you, that's all that matters. So if somebody lied about a lift, I mean, we still got people that lie about lifts today. So it's nothing new, you know? Yeah. So, but if it inspires you, who cares? Who cool. cares? What if, what if you, what if you didn't know better? And let's say you found out that somebody your age, height, weight, bench pressed, 50 kilos more than you ever thought was possible, but it inspired you. And maybe you didn't get to that point, but let's say you got within 15 kilos of it. Great. Yeah. Great. So what? Use it as fuel, right? Who cares? Who cares if it's legit or not? Who cares? Absolutely. Get a chance to use something as fuel. (laughs) I need all the fuel I can get, man. (laughs) Me too. What the hell? Yeah. So, um, I, I, with that said, I, I, uh, I'm impressed with, uh, like the Saxon trio, Arthur Saxon and his brothers, uh, Kurt and Herman, uh, because they always put up money saying, Hey, do you want to come up and bring up a scale at any time during our performances? You can, well, we'll throw down cash if we're wrong. And, and everything that ever got weighed when somebody brought a scale in the middle of their performance, they would stop and say, I challenge you. And, and every time the weights always weighed more than what they said it they weighed. Yeah, yeah. That's Which is cool. Yeah. So anything Arthur did with the bent press was amazing. What a phenom. Yeah. Um, his two hand anyhow, it's hard to put it in perspective, but in, in, in on November 3rd in 1905, he bent pressed 336 or 100 and, it's 152 kilos, I think. Wow. And then reached down and grabbed a 50 kilo kettlebell and put it overhead. It took them over half a century for the clean and jerk to catch up to that. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. With people focusing on the clean and jerk and not the two hand anyhow. Yeah. Nobody was doing the two hand anyhow. Because once the Olympics came around, it became being good at the clean and press the clean and jerk and the snatch. Mm-hmm. I mean, up until I think 1928 was the last year that they had the one hand snatch, the one hand clean and jerk. Yeah. But after that, they focused on just those three. But it still took them over half or half a century to catch up to his two hand anyhow. So I'm like, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, pretty he's impressive. he's a very special athlete. Everything I've read and and sort of talked about him has been just that he was just a phenomenal a phenom and not an exceptionally mm. big guy um just with an incredible potential for strength i think the thing that got it for me was that when sandal um sort of challenged him on stage <laughs> he, he he failed you know the great the great sandal failed um a couple of times at the lift and then and then actually ended up suing arthur saxon because oh, yeah. oh, it was claimed that he wasn't as, as strong as him which is just you know he had to use 
the law and, and legalities and things to try and stop Saxon claiming that he was obviously stronger than Sandow. Just, yeah, incredible. Well, when, when, because Sandow held the world record on the bent press and Saxon comes along, you know, it'd be one thing if Saxon beat him by five kilos. We're talking like 35 kilos over. Mm, huge. That, that's that's got to be a shock. They say that Arthur Saxon pretty much drove Sando out of strength and into bodybuilding and showing off his body and, and going more that route because he realized he just wasn't going to keep up. Um, but that, whatever those guys did was always impressive. I think Herman and Kurt were smaller, like 165 to 175, and they could both press double body weight. Which is a great, which is crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and back then, because the clean and jerk wasn't as specialized as it is now, and because the bent press was popular, it was common to bent press what your clean and jerk was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's a shame, I think, today that people, because they don't recognize the bent press as a, a modern common lift, that that's not as well people just don't either don't know about it because they think it's some kind of strange lift or that it's just not as respected as the clean and jerk because people don't understand wow. the, the, how hard I, it I hear a lot of people, they still call it a trick lift. Yeah. And it's just like those, those ass hats that talk about Martin Leishies that he won the world's strongest man on technique. And I'm like, so he won the world's strongest man not being strong, but only because he had better technique, not because he was stronger. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you go to bed at night convincing yourself of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So guess what? You know, it's like I've said to people, well, if you could show me the trick to bent pressing 100 kilos, I'd love for you to show me the trick. Yeah. The trick yeah. is being strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, not one of those, uh, you know, clickbaity, one strange trick to, to bet 100 <laughs> kilos. <laughs> not happen. I don't know where these people come from or how they convince themselves. I mean, yeah. Of course, Martin Leishies is one of the strongest guys on the planet. Obviously. Absolutely. Do you, so you, do you think everyone else was just so intimidated and awed by his technique that they let him win? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> wow. And so you think that if people could hear how they sound, they would realize maybe I shouldn't say that. Yeah, you'd you hope. Know? You'd hope. But they'll, they'll still leave a comment on, on Instagram, nevertheless. Um, oh yeah well it's not as bad as tiktok that's the worst yeah yeah that's... i didn't think anything was going to ever be better than youtube comments no nope, tiktok said hold my beer watch this <laughs> yeah tiktok is, is something i started with the page for about six weeks and then just yeah just focused on on instagram and facebook more it just I, I yeah i'm tempted to dump mine it's just like it's ridiculous it's, it's ridiculous mm. um paul anderson uh his olympic stuff um is pretty cool to watch yeah. you know i mean he won the olympics and uh you know here's a guy that um pretty much took the, the world record squat in his first workout with bob peoples who was his coach mm -hmm. and squatted it like 10 reps i think his first workout you know the world yeah. record you know 550 or something like that and uh you know and bob peoples did a lot of um a lot of variety in his training. He's pretty much the guy that pioneered training with a rack. He wasn't the first, but he really put a lot of time into utilizing the rack to get very strong. And it really influenced Paul's training because Paul did a lot of variety in his training as well. Sure. 
Sure. If people can hear clicking, by the way, on the sound, I'm, I'm literally making notes as, uh, as James is speaking, because this is all gold for me and the page. <laughs> um, just with the, just a follow on from my, my previous question about the, some of your favorite old time feats and things. Um, why, why do you feel it's important for average trainees to, to know and think about these relatively, not normal athletes, but relatively small athletes compared to the, the beasts of kind of Eddie Hall and your half thaws today. And why is it important for them to know that, that these guys were capable of such lifts back then? Well, I think it's, it's pretty cool. I, I have to be careful how I say this because even though it's honest, people can take it the wrong way. Sure. When a basketball player dunks a ball, well, good for them. You're probably eight, inches to 12 inches taller than me you should be able to dunk a ball so when some world's strongest man competitor does a certain grip feat i'm like well they're six foot six plus they should be able to do a certain grip feat. they got hands bigger than my head i i can't relate good for them but i i can't relate you know what i mean just like i i can't relate to to an nba player i'm not that height i don't know what it's like you know yeah. what i mean so i I'll watch strong man, but I can't relate to that, what they can do because they have much bigger bodies than I do. Yeah. You know, some of them weigh what close to 200 kilos. I'm never going to weigh close to that. Yeah. You know, so it's great to watch, but I, I can't relate to it. But regular people that I work with, or if I'm training someone, I'll try to find someone their height, their weight and say, this is some of the stuff they did. This is long before steroids because not that it matters to me, but I know a lot of people get wound up about it. I'm like, hey, steroids weren't around yet. This little guy, this little woman was lifting this or that. They look like a regular person. I mean, they may be more well-built, but their height and weight is kind of more in range. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I can relate to that. You know. So I think it gives people um, a more real goal. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. If that's their thing. I'm not trying to get people to be super strong. But if they want someone to look at, I'll say, well, you know, this guy, John Terry in the 60 kilogram class, you know, if he can, if he can deadlift that much in 1939, then, you know, you should be okay getting two thirds that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I think the lifts themselves are important, the old time lifts, because if somebody ditches the power rack and they ditch the bench, uprights and they just do pullover and press and they do Steinborn lifts and Arthur lifts. They're going to get as strong as they ever need to be to be a regular person in regular life. Even if they're a weekend warrior with a sport, you know, aside from being a competitive strong man or power lifter or weightlifter, of course. Mm -hmm. But regular folks who've got families, a mortgage, car payment or two, um, kids, family commitments, they can only work out three days a week. They need not to work out on weekends because they got all kinds of commitments at home. Yeah. If you give them a program of old-time strongman stuff, they're going to get a lot done in a short amount of time. They're going to get really strong. They're going to get really mobile. And I think when you, you become more able-bodied that way, and so you have more confidence in your body and what you can and can't do with your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people are kind of body-blind, I call it. They have no idea why something hurts. But as they train and get more in tune with their body, they're like, oh, well, because this way I sit at work actually hurts. I just never realized. It. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's why the, the old time representatives 
and the lifts themselves are important for regular people. I think they offer a lot and it's something um, uh, not overwhelming to look at some of these folks from back. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you were looking for? Something like that? Absolutely. Yeah. That was a, that was a perfect answer. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I really like okay. the, the, the thought of as well of looking at these people who were, like you said, within a normal um, height and, and body weight range, because people, especially in the, in the powerlifting world that obviously I kind of associate more in people, you know, mass moves mass is, is something you hear a lot. And yes. it's some, yes. it's unhealthy yeah. at some point and people are trying to pack on, on mass, no matter how that looks and feels and is with the health right. is, um, to move these extra weights when, when people, you know, with more primitive equipment, it, uh, everything like that were moving more weight than, than them um, just with the correct training and, and taking care of themselves. So yeah, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, something I wanted to touch on here is about, obviously your what you're doing is going to create a lot of interest in the the all-time lifts and people are going to want to try that um and you've spoken recently about the the lifts that you'd wish you'd mastered first so i wondered how that <laughs> relates to to how would you recommend people get started with the all-time lifts and where do you recommend people start with this kind of style of training well it's uh, it depends on how they want to break in you know if they want to break in slowly maybe try doing jefferson lifts and hack lifts instead of deadlifts yeah you know um if you're going to try to get away from uh, a squat rack um, you can try doing hopping the bar up the back i call it a continental squat because it's the first part of the other you just hop the bar up the back yeah and you do your squats from there you know and so you're not going to use as much weight, but you can get pretty strong. Like I've done 140 kilos squatting, wow. just popping the bar up the back, that continental style. Wow. And I can get stronger at it, you know, if I, if I decide to really lean on it. You know, I, I basically try to have whatever workout I do today is going to be elements of it designed to help the workout that's going to come in the next day or two. Okay. It's not an end in and of itself. If you can kind of think of how we weave things together rather than having blocks, you know, yeah. is there a way to have our workouts flow into and, and assist? Like I might do some leg work on my snatch day that may not make sense that it would be on my snatch day. Mm -hmm. Like I may do an actual squat instead of a lunge on my split snatch day. Yeah. That's because I know cleans are going to come up in a couple of days. And those squats I do today will surface that result will surface in a couple of days when I do go and do cleans. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. Which means on my day that I do cleans is the day I do a lot of lunges or split squat work. Yeah. Which I know will help my split snatches in a few days. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's so, I've never I've never actually heard it, it put that way. Um I, and I think I'm I kind of simple and I'm not very smart. So I have to keep <laughs> stuff simple for me. No, it makes perfect sense. For me the the kind of the kind of thinking bigger picture that, that periodization of of you know you go through hypertrophy strength power then you go into your season of whatever never quite made sense because there's just a disconnect and then thinking it on a smaller time scale week to week like you said like like i just admitted i do upper body lower body but i like that theme of things flowing and continuing into the next workout um for me that's looked like on upper body days i'll do some belt squats just to make sure i'm mobile still in the hips and everything's not tight yeah, after seeing yeah. and things like that um yeah. yeah i really like that thought of not yeah. only the training 
being a goal in of itself, but to maximize the next session as well. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of keeping you honest about making sure you're not, if you're making sure to take care of today, what has to be done today, but also maybe what's coming up. Sure. You kind of keep looking forward. Yeah. And I think that's never a bad thing to keep looking forward. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Because a lot of times it's easy to just get today's work done and chuck it and be done with it and yep. forget it. But if you have a little reminder, okay, we got to do this work because I'm going to have this in a couple of days. Mm. You know, it's kind of leading you to start thinking about. Yeah. And if you come to that next workout and you're feeling a little down emotionally or, or motivation, you're like, hey, you've already got that work from the other day. That's, we don't want to waste that. Yeah. So let's get that work in today, you know? That's so, a great thought. Yeah. Kind of pulling yourself up and keeping yourself honest about stuff, you know? Yeah, that's fantastic. Never heard that put in that way before. It makes complete sense. Um, yeah. So just switching gears slightly, I'm obviously being sure. the strength history nerd that I am. I really like the, the memorabilia and the, and the vintage equipment and that kind of stuff. It looks like you've got some really interesting pieces of yeah. equipment and I'm sure you've got some other memorabilia. Can you talk to us about some of your favorite pieces that you have? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, two, two reasons why I get, why I, um, uh, purchased the things that I've purchased. One was either for grip training mm -hmm. or to, to see what it was like the old time strong. I know Arthur Saxon talked about the first time that he used a plate loaded bar. He said it had a lot more life or a lot more spring to it than a globe the shot loaded globe. Okay. So yeah. I bought a shot loaded globe barbell and I have a shot loaded globe dumbbell. And um, I think when the dumbbell's full, it weighs about 300 pounds or so. It's, it's wow. ridiculous. Well, so it'd be about maybe 137 and a half kilos or something like yeah. that. Um, and it, and it is much harder, you know, especially if it's not full of shot. Yeah. So it's sloshing around when you're lifting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I, um, I only just realized I watched a video of somebody using the shot and you can hear the shot move. And I never, I never put that into perspective oh, yeah. before. Yeah. It's, um, and obviously that would slightly yeah. unbalance the weight as it goes through the movement. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So part of it is that because I'm like, well, I want to know what they did. I want to know what it felt like if I can. I mean, doesn't matter if it was done 100 years ago or 500 years ago. We got the same physiology. So why not try to feel what it was like? And it's also why I got into the rule changes mm -hmm. of what was or wasn't allowed. You know, let me try to see what they were going through. You know, when people talk about how weightlifters are so much stronger today, I'm like, no, they're not. Stop saying that. Even with, even with you can keep the steroids, just the rule changes alone, how they do lifts now would be DQ'd, disqualified yeah. in meets back then. Mm -hmm. You know, so don't, don't say they're stronger. They're not. It's, it's different. I yep. love today's weightlifting. I love, I love watching weightlifting. I watch current weightlifting, but don't tell me it's stronger or better. It's just different. Yeah. It's just different. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I've got some, um, well, the globes I have are from, I believe about world war one era. Wow. Um, so, and I believe they were owned by uh, John Y Smith, which is the first, famous strongman that come out of this area of uh, the United States called New England. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, six states, you know, uh, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island. And so the first famous strongman from there was John Y. Smith. And it's believed that these were his at one point. I can't prove it. Yeah. It's just cool to say, yeah, we think <laughs> they were his, but we don't know. 
Yeah, of course. Um, and then um, I've got some York deep dish 75 pound plates. Okay. Um, there's 13 of them made that we know of. Wow. And I have two of them. And I bought them with the goal of uplifting. Yeah. Those 75 yeah. pounders. Um, they're, they're pretty, they're, like I said, there's 13 yeah. known, so they're pretty rare. Right, right, yeah. Um, they might be, they might be the rarest plates I have. Um, I have some York deep dish 20 kilogram plates, mm. which the, again, there's only like six or seven pairs known. They were never for sale. Yeah. Just like the 75 pounders were never for sale. We don't know why they made them. Okay. We don't know. We have no idea why York made them. And it says York on them, mm-hmm. on the 75s and on the 20 kilos. Um, the best guess with the 20 kilos is maybe they were used at the 52 Olympics. Yeah. Because York looked like it had kilogram written on the plates at the 52 Olympics, but that's the best guess we can have. But you would think if that was true, then where are the 15 kilogram and 10 kilogram plates to go with it, right? Yeah. So, um, and I have some, I have some prototypes of strong barbell, 102 and a half pounds. Like it literally says 102.5 pounds on the plates so that when you put them on a 45 pound bar, it would be 250. Nice. Okay. I don't know why this guy would do that, but he did it. And it's a strong barbell company out of California. Uh, Chester Tea Garden was the owner of the company. And for some reason, he just felt like he should. He needed to make plates that weighed 102.5 pounds. And I've got a I've got a prototype version of that. It looks different than the production version. Amazing. Um, and there's only a few of those known. So. So that's, uh, I could get into other stuff, but that's, that's the real rare stuff. I would say, yeah, that's know, brilliant. That I use for grip training and so on. Yeah, that's nice because that gives us some context when we're watching your videos of, of like, I had no idea about those. I've seen those glow barbells a hundred times watching your videos and never knew the, yeah. that they were possibly owned by. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Well, what's, what's funny to me is, uh, you know, you got these, pages and websites and, and so on where kids are bragging about their six thousand dollar or their eight thousand dollar you know gym you know their their kit of uh the power rack and so on it's well sometimes when you see me lifting there's ten thousand dollars on that bar yeah yeah which, makes sense. but you'd never know it but you know yeah some of those pieces are, are worth thousands and thousands of dollars you know, lots of them yeah so <laughs> yeah just funny because you'd never realized you know yeah of course because they look a bit older and got a bit of rust and things like that but they're they're priceless in a way if they're one of the kind items oh, yeah. from from an era before manufacturing was on the scale that it is today yep. yeah um i also have a pair of uh, york second generation deep dish 45s from the 30s wow and they are from joe mills gym joe mills is one of the most popular olympic weightlifting coaches here in the states from the early days okay yeah so it's pretty cool uh, a student of his handed them down to me and wow. so now i'm taking care of them until it's time for me to hand them down to someone else yeah basically. brilliant 
because you don't own this stuff. You just kind of you're a caretaker more than anything. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. yeah so. But it's I use it. I buy it all to use. I don't have any show ponies. I don't have any trophies. Mm-hmm. I, I use all my stuff. You, yeah. you see me use it. You know? Yeah. As it should be. Yeah, that's what it was made for. And uh, yeah, that's how other people will continue to learn, learn from it. Um, I, um, I'd like to say that when I was starting out, I was overwhelmed by the magazines with the machines and everything and how I felt like I wasn't going to be able to do this or that because I didn't have that. Nautilus pullover machine or some other machine. Mm-hmm. A big part of what I do is not only do I want to help people feel better and move better, but I want people to realize that you can have a barbell and a couple of adjustable dumbbells and a few hundred pounds of plates, and you can get very strong, very able-bodied, very mobile with just four or 500 pounds of yeah. equipment. And you don't need a squat rack. You don't need a bench. You don't need nothing. So that's another big thing I try to promote in my videos. I want people to see I've got this piece of plywood in my driveway. That's what I work out on. And uh, hopefully yeah. they can see, well, hey, if this dummy can do it, I can do it. You know? That's great. And particularly poignant at the moment where um, in some areas, gyms are being closed off and on. And, yeah. and some people aren't comfortable going back to the gyms and people have purchased their own bits of kit. And I know for myself training at home throughout lockdown in the UK, um, I had 120 kilos of weights and a few bands. And I genuinely think my training was far better after that because I was doing reps and trying grip stuff and all this kind of stuff. And it, it, it paid off long-term for me in the end. And I was really surprised. I thought my training would take a, a big hit, but it, it didn't. Well, what it, what it does, and you don't realize this until it happens, but it makes you take what you got and explore it deeper. Yeah. Because you don't have another choice. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you have all these things in front of you, it's very easy to get distracted and, and not explore. You know, people have asked me, they're like, hey, why are you anti-kettlebell? I said, I'm not anti-kettlebell. I'm just pro-barbell, and I'm still trying to figure out all the ways you can use a barbell. It's a big difference. You know? Yeah, yeah. This, you know, like some of the stuff I've created, like uh, the gobble squats is something that I came up with on my own um, because the first time I tried goblet squats, I used a Thomas inch dumbbell, which is 78 kilos roughly. Yeah. And I think I did a set of 10 the first time I tried it. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to use more weight, it's not going to be with a bigger dumbbell because it's going to stick out further. Yeah. It's just going to be impossible. So I said, all right, I'm going to use a barbell and see if I can. Mm-hmm. Okay, this works. So I called it a goblet barbell or a gobel squat. Oh, that's where that came from. Yeah, if, if yeah. people haven't seen this, yeah. it's kind of it's almost like the top of a bicep curl position, isn't it? So it looks like a more yeah. it looks like a more efficient way to front squat, to be honest. Um it's kind of held in here well, and looks a bit more comfortable. I will say I wouldn't I don't know about more efficient. I'll let other people decide that, but I will say that I can cheat more on a front squat than I can on a gobble. A gobble, if you don't stay upright, the bar just falls. Yeah. yeah. As soon as you start to start to lose position, you're done. Yeah, that makes you sense. Know? So it's it's very strict. Um, the seated the seated bent press is something I came up with last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's helped loosen up all kinds of stuff in my in my sides. Um, I wish I had discovered that 20 years ago, you know, so I, I implement stuff. I almost come up with new exercises almost every day. Yeah. And uh, just cause that's how my mind works, you know? And uh, so I, I combine a lot of stuff from the old time strongman 
And then I try to like take that theme or that idea of just more movement, maybe in a different way, you know? So the, some of it is, like I said, stuff I've come up with as well. It's not just old time strongman stuff. Uh, the cross leg side bends. I've been mm. doing those for 25, 30 years now. That's something I came up with on there. Yeah, yeah. Just because I like the stretch of it, you know, and it feels great. And I, I used it with a 52 year old client that according to the MRI, he had uh, arthritis in the sacrum. And after about six months of those, he didn't get his MRI redone, but he said that he had no more back pain. That's key. Yeah. And he, and he said that that exercise stretched it all out and made it strong. And he had no more issues in his lower back. That's you know? great. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because you can really use the weights to get very flexible if you want. And I think that's, I think once you show someone how to do the old time strongman stuff, I think then once they start feeling it's so subtle, like you don't feel how you don't have no idea how bad you feel until you realize how bad you feel. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. then something kind of like you start moving again. Cause when you, when you don't feel well, you don't want to do anything. Yeah. Like I don't tell clients much about anything. I don't train people often, but when I do, I don't tell them what to expect, but usually they'll come back on a Monday because something will have happened on the weekend. They're like, Hey, I could do this. And I've been able to do that in years. I'm like, Oh, good, good. You know, I figured something was going to happen. Or yeah. I remember one person, they said, yeah, I did this. And I go, you told me you can't do that. And they're like, Oh yeah. I forgot. I'm like, you forgot you couldn't do that? Well, you must be healed if you forgot you couldn't do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If, it, if, if you forgot that it hurts to do that, well, guess what? When you start feeling better, you move more. It's yeah. easy to go move if you don't hurt. Mm -hmm. But we don't think about it. It happens so gradually, you know? Yeah. So that's brilliant. I and think that kind of training can help. You know? Yeah. And I think there's a, a fear around, you know, stretching with weight and things like that but then it's no different from you know you go shopping and you pick up a heavy shopping bag you're leaning over and you're picking up but the way you're doing it is under control with load that's yes. appropriate to the to the client and things so you you choose the weight no one's trying to tackle you or take the weight away from you it's yeah. it's as controlled as you want it to be yeah um and it and it gives you i like stretching i like static stretching mm -hmm. um, to kind of shake the cobwebs up but it's not something i think people should do a lot of versus using weights to get mobile and the thing is if you bend over and touch your toes seven days in a row some days are going to feel better than others it's very subjective mm -hmm. but if you're using good mornings with a bar um, if you're using good mornings with 10 kilo plates under the front of your feet and you go from using 50 kilos with eight reps to 55 kilos for 12 reps by the end of the week, you have an objective measure of how much your strength and your mobility has improved. Yeah. Very good point. You know? So I'm not saying static stretching is useless, but it's kind of pointless. It's kind of like flexing. Mm -hmm. Flexing's cool, but are you able to measure if you did all your training for strength or muscle size just by flexing? Yeah. Do you think that's a good idea? Does that sound like a, a, a way of measure? Is it, would that be easy to measure progress? So, so why do we approach stretching the same way? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, definitely. We should, have something, we should have something quantitative, something we can compare numbers of progress 
over periods of time. Again, I'm not saying flexing is useless and I'm not saying stretching is useless. I'm saying that using stretching to get better at mobility or to use flexing to get better at strength or muscle mass, it's not a good idea. Yeah. It can be part of it, but we really need something to measure and keep us honest. Yeah. Because there are days when you really contract a muscle and you get right into it. And other days, it just, you can't get, in, you know, mm-hmm. you can't, you know, but just because it feels bad doesn't mean we've had some of my, be- actually all of my best workouts have been the days where I almost didn't do it. Yeah. Because I I've said, I said, look, just go in and do something for 15 minutes. And as soon as you take that pressure off the brain, you have no expectation. Mm-hmm. You've given yourself freedom to just go in and do something. Yeah. And guess what? You start feeling good. Well, okay, I'll put a little more weight on the bar, but no big deal. I'm just going to do this for a few minutes. Sure. The next thing you know, it's 45 minutes later and your PR, you're hitting a PR. Yeah. That has happened every time that I've come that close to skipping a workout. And that's, I've, I've learned that over the years. Yeah. You know, you just have to let go. Like I tell, like I tell people I train, I go, look, don't tell your body you're going to do something. Don't create an antagonistic relationship with your body. It's a partnership. So ask your body, say, hey, I'd like to squat this way. Hey, I'd like to deadlift this way. I'd like to snatch this way. So I don't ever tell my body. I ask, hey, it's you and me together on this journey. Let's do this together. You know, why create an antagonism inside yourself? Mm -hmm. Don't. Work with yourself. You're both going through this together, you know. Yeah, that's a great way to think about kind of, it. Kind yeah. of simple, but it, it is a much more positive approach. I think. Yeah, there are two, again, two insights there that I've never heard explained in that way about the, the quantitative way to measure stretching through strength and, yeah, to alleviate right. that mental pressure by just having that talk with your body and saying, this is the way, this is the way I'd like to do yeah. it. Can we, what can we do to make this happen? Yeah. 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 Right. It's you and me on this journey. Let's, let's do that. Brilliant. Or what do you, or what do you want to do? Because hmm. sometimes the plan to work out just ain't happening. Yeah. yeah, and that's okay as long as it only happens once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta, you gotta again, you gotta be honest with yourself. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's, it's whatever anyone takes away from this. Don't let anyone tell you it's hard. It's not. Be honest with yourself. Work with yourself, not against yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think you're chasing a 200 kilo bench and you get halfway there and you realize it's just not really that dream you thought you had, that's okay. Go find another one. Yeah. You know, it's, it's okay. We all start out on a path thinking we want to do this and we get close to it or halfway and we find out it's really not worth it. You know, Mm -hmm. like what I would have to give up to squat 600 pounds. I'm not willing to give up. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I'd rather keep my mobility. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'd rather balance it out with other stuff because the further up the ladder you go of strength on one lift, it's going to take the energy away from a lot of other lifts. Yeah. So I'd rather be able to deadlift in Jefferson and hack with 600 mm-hmm. than be able to deadlift 700. Yeah, I had exactly the same experience about three weeks ago. I did my first 600 pound deadlift. Um, and I, Congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you. But like you said, having put the bar down immediately, I thought, what am I going to have to get to do? Uh, what do I have to do to get to seven? And I thought, probably not worth it. Let's, yeah. let's switch gears a little bit. So that was kind of 
parked in my mind. I'm going to hit my other numbers that I want to and then try something new. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. It's it's very interesting, and it's okay to reassess. And yeah, you know, and you may down the road decide to come back and get that seven hundred. Just not today doesn't mean never. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And it's it's funny because I'll be fifty in November. So when you're younger, everything is now or never. And when you're older, you're like, oh, I might get around to that again. Yeah, you realize that life comes around in circles, and it's okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> you look at how. Sometimes in the year, certain things blossom and certain things die off. Well, we're the same way, and it's okay. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. I'm, I'm happy you were happy you revealed your age there. I didn't want to ask you. I know it's always rude to ask, but yeah, that's oh. incredible that you're 50 and and you know moving the way yeah. you do. I think that's a testament to your own training and and the old time style that you use. And I think people can take um, yeah. take advice from that in terms of their their own longevity. Well, I, I like I like moving i've always liked moving when i was a kid mm-hmm. i've had people i train catch me at a catch me at a shop in line getting coffee and they won't tell me that they saw me earlier that day but then i'll talk to them later on or someone else will say one of your clients saw you in line and you were stretching while you were in line and i said yeah i often do you know <laughs> uh so it's it's not like i tell people to do stuff i don't do you know i, I but i like moving and i like being able to move i don't like feeling tight it drives me up the wall um, and I think so far when I, when, whenever I've worked with anyone, once they start realizing how good they can feel and they, they realize they can control it. Like, I'm like, you know, cause after a while I can only, if I'm training you, when we first start out, I might see 15, 15%, 20% of what's going on, yeah. but you, you can feel a hundred percent once you learn how, mm-hmm. you know, like one of the things I tell my clients is to close their eyes when they're lifting, cause then they can feel everything. Yeah. You know, once you close your eyes, you've got all this input because your, your mind is always trying to seek information. Yeah. So if, if you close your eyes and you stop seeing color and you stop seeing that reflection, that reflection, you get very internal. Yeah. But once they realize how much they can control it. And, and at first I'm telling them what to do, but after a while, they're telling me what they need. You know, I'm kind of just more of a, of a mentor at that point, mm-hmm. you know, because you're only going to get better and figure out what's wrong with you, whether it's in the gym, in your relationship with your significant other, the relationship you have at your job. It's going to take some work on your part. It's not going to be some guy writing a program. Yeah. You're going to have to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. So when I'm training people at first, they got to do what I tell them to do because they don't know anything. Mm-hmm. That's in anything. Yeah. But eventually they're telling me how it's going to have to be. Okay. Yeah. And I might go, okay, is this feeling all right? How does that feel? What if we did this? No, no, I don't like how that, okay, we won't do that. You know, but you have to, if you really care about people, if you really want them to feel better, you have to make them part of it because it's their body. It's their life. Mm-hmm. And it's just common sense. I'm not telling you anything you didn't know when you woke up. To. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great to have that. Um, yeah, the explanations you've given have been been so, so useful. So yeah, I think we'll, um, we coming in on, on a wow it's been an hour and a half already that's flown um we'll bring it in for, <laughs> bring it in for a landing um other than obviously your your fantastic page um where, oh, where do you recommend where do you recommend other people uh, go to find it have you got any books or resources that you that you'd recommend people use or oh. read or uh super strength by alan calvert mm-hmm. started the first barbell company in the united states in 1902 yeah 
and he promoted just about all the early strongman or weightlifting competitions in the, in the early 20th century in the United States, uh, but super strength. Um, physical training simplified by Mark Barry, yeah. who was our US weightlifting Olympic team coach in 32 and 36. Weightlifting Made Easy and Interesting, I believe is the name by Bill Pullum. Okay. And his company is still going on today in the UK, Pullum. Yeah, I didn't make the connection until recently when someone mentioned it. And yeah, it's still going. And um, yeah, I think they called him the, the seven stone wonder of the world, if I remember right. Or is it the nine stone? Something like that. Yeah, he pretty much had all the world records except for the one hand snatch. For some reason that lift just was his Waterloo, I guess. Okay. But um, those three are good. Uh, of course, anything by Arthur Saxon is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is it textbook of weightlifting by Arthur Saxon? I think is good. Yeah. Um, for someone who's a natural, like I, I've learned that most people that are naturals are the worst people at teaching something because they don't know how, and it's no, no slight on them, but they, they have a horrible time explaining it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, you know, like, like I have a horrible press, like all my pressing is horrible. And people would say, well, you should never listen to them. And I, I'm not gonna argue. But at the same time, I've had to fight for every two and a half kilos to put on. Mm-hmm. So maybe I am the guy. Yeah, I get that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like uh, like Usain Bolt. If he were to explain how to run faster to someone, it's just well, move your legs faster. It's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, so we- it's no slight on them because I think people that are much better than the rest of us are great for inspiration, and to also demand of them to also be able to explain their gift, I think might be a little arrogant on our part. Yeah. Instead, I say thank you for inspiring us. And if you can't explain it, great, fine. You still inspire us by by doing what you do. So, let's go find those that are good at, at explaining. You know, um, it's uh, it's interesting because you know some will say, well, if you if you don't squat eight hundred pounds, you shouldn't be talking about squatting. I get it, but that's going to really limit the amount of people that can talk about squatting. Yeah, of course. So, you know, yeah, uh, and and the type of squatting you do to squat eight hundred pounds is really not something most people want to do anyways. Yeah, you know, so it's squatting. It's so funny how it's so misunderstood, and it's it's really easy, but it's it's just really complicated. People have made it complicated, just like um, oh my goodness, deadlifting in the last five years. They have made deadlifting so complicated. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I, you want to simple. talk about huh? yeah. the most simple movement, just you know, picking up a bar from the floor to your hips. Yeah, you're right. It's... They have you want to talk about mental masturbation. That's yeah. it right there. <laughs> I I just couldn't, and I'm like, yeah, it's it's not that hard. So I I try to I try to have people just listen to what how the body wants to move. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah, watch some videos, but an hour, an hour of gym time experimenting with your deadlift and trying to figure it out is worth a hundred hours on YouTube. Yeah, good. You know? Yeah, what works for you? Just, just get in there and figure it out. You know, yeah. it's um, 
you know, look at all the great lifters before video, before, before the internet, you know, they figured it out. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes, sometimes like your situation where you were limited in lockdown, I think maybe simplifying and having to make do with what you got can accelerate you. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it can, it can teach you not only how to make the best of what you've got, but when you go back to having more options, you may look at those options differently than you ever have. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's why, like I said, I try to promote a barbell, maybe some scale weights, dumbbells, or you see me do a lot of stuff with just a plate in my hand. Yeah. You know, um, it helps open up the wrist, opens up the hand, it helps the carpal tunnel, but it's real simple. Yeah. So I just want, I just know how frustrated I was. And I almost think it's worse now because there's too many options on so I, I just want people to, to feel like they can do it. You know, don't yeah. let someone tell you you can't. Don't let anyone tell you it's complicated. Whatever your goal is, if you're willing to eat the meals, get the sleep, and do what each workout needs to do, you keep that up long enough, you're going to hit your goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just got to stay at it long enough. Yeah. But I'm I very um, honored that you would have me on. I'm very happy to be here. I'm glad to. I'm glad time flew. I was hoping it wouldn't drag for you. So. <laughs> Not at all. No, it's been uh, been brilliant. And like I thought, we've been you know gone off on several different tangents there, which has been great. So, and um, where can people find more about you and, and connect with you, be it online or, or otherwise? I'm I'm pretty interactive on Instagram. I I, I have a lot of people message me, or and uh, I talk back to people a lot. So, mm-hmm. I was actually helping a couple people out before our thing here. Brilliant. So I'm, that I get a lot of people messaging me about equipment and how much is this worth? Where, yeah. what, what's the history on this plate or that plate? Or, you know, I may know, I may not know, but yeah, the community on there and you're just reading the, you know, the tens and tens of comments that you get per post. It's yeah. It's become a real community around, around what you're doing, which is, which is brilliant. Well, I see some inflammatory stuff. Like when I wrote the other day about um, competition has done more to destroy um, strength training yeah. than steroids, fads, and uh, machines combined. And I, I believe that, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it's because I'm trying to bring a call to, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of, of strength exercises we can do. We don't need to look at everything through the eyes of powerlifting or weightlifting. Yeah. Uh, actually, if you look at CrossFit, CrossFit workouts are very similar to some of the workouts that like Sig Klein used to do a hundred years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. A if lot you of look at the gyms from back, if you look at the gyms from back then, there was a place to do pull-ups and handstands, rope climbing, you know, a lot of space, not a lot of equipment, just like CrossFit. It's yeah. it's almost like CrossFit has come back around to the old physical culture, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Except they did their pull-ups were a little more strict than what CrossFit uh, is known for. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, and that's okay. I mean, it's, it's a skill, it's a technique. It is what it is. Um, it's kind of common that each sport that comes out kind of has its own thing it's known for, mm-hmm. you know? So like when bodybuilding separated from weightlifting in 1946 here in the States, it's when they formed the international federation of bodybuilders. That's when you started seeing bodybuilders having bigger pecs yeah. because they were benching more because they didn't have to worry about doing snatches and clean and jerks. Anymore. Mm-hmm. So each sport that comes along, just like with powerlifting, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna pull from the floor like you guys. We're gonna pull 
with a rounded back, a very rounded back when we deadlift, you know? And uh, so each one kind of strikes out on its own in its own way. And I think CrossFit kind of did that with their version of a, of a pull-up, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think that's just co- uh, a natural thing that happens, you know? Um, I say, be good at both. Then, then you got it. Then you got your bases covered. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Yeah. So I, I try to promote unity more than division. I really do. I think, I think people doing something is always better than nothing. So if some, if, if what gets you out of bed is suited powerlifting, have at it. If it's CrossFit, do it, mm-hmm. you know, but just, just don't think there's nothing else to learn from because yeah. there is. Yeah. Cool. Don't make my mistake that took me 20 some odd years of solving it, figuring it out on my own. But at least the lessons I learned are my lessons that I learned on my own, which are, they stick with me. For sure. And I love the super training shirt. I meant to mention that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I never know what's a big Mark. Love Mark Bell. <laughs> Mark Bell. Yeah. He's um, actually probably the reason I got into powerlifting back in 2014, 2015. So, yeah. Been a been a fun of his he's, for a while. Well, he's brilliant. Like he comes off as a big goofball, but he is one smart cookie. You know, like when he's doing technique videos or when he's breaking down technique and talking technique, he really knows his stuff. Like it's pretty amazing because he, he, like I said, he tries to hide behind a, a facade. <laughs> yeah, but he's actually highly intelligent. He really is. You know, yeah. I know. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I really, I got a lot of respect for him. You know, people that carve out their own way, good for them, you know? Yeah, 100% to have um, kind of excelled in. Just like in, what you, yeah. Just like what you're doing. You've done really well, you know? Yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> yeah, no, you've done a lot in this past year. You've really done a lot, you know? Yeah. Pretty think, amazing. Yeah, it's something I've been, I didn't realize I was so interested in until I, I dived into it. <laughs> I think I'm just so early in the in the process, you know, I'm, I'm 29 years old. I'm, I think I'll be talking yeah. about this stuff for the next 50 years. So we'll have to see what happens. Well, it's a, it's a funny thing. If I, if I say, hey, I can get you a stronger engine for your car. Oh, that'd be good. You know that bridge in town? We're going to make a stronger bridge. That'd be great. You know that elbow that's hurting? We should get you on some strength training to help your elbow. No, 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 no. So strength is a, is a funny thing because we all understand it's good, except when it comes to us. Yeah. People can understand you wanting to be strong for football or basketball, but just so you try to get stronger. Well, why? What are you going to do? Well, hopefully I can lift more weight. Yeah, but what happens after that? Well, I get stronger so I can lift even more weight. And they're like, well, what's the point of that? You know, it's so funny, you know? Yeah. yeah. But it improves the quality of your life. You know, when people start getting stronger, things become easier. Mm-hmm. You're not so wiped out at the end of the day. But it's such a, it's such a funny sell to get people to get stronger. You yeah. know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, telling people about powerlifting and they just don't get it. And then trying to explain this page to people who haven't had an experience it's just been a nightmare so you you into history and you talk about it and they just it yeah i just say i play football whatever (laughs) just uh, just yeah it's just it's just really interesting to me that it's such a it's almost like a Bermuda triangle of the human psyche yeah you know what i mean like we can we can everything else i can talk to people about kind of like when i try to talk about um strengthening the bicep tendons so you don't blow out bicep tendons and it's, yep. they just go blank you know if your knee hurts it'll do something for the knee you know if their 
if their lower back hurts, they'll do something for that. But because you've seen the stuff I do with my my elbows, I should have ripped off the bicep tendons years ago. Yeah. Right. But it's because I've kept them strong and I've purposely done that. But I try to talk to people about it. It's just they get that deer in a headlight look, you know, they just total blank. They, they don't even get it. It's like, yeah. no, you either rip it or you don't. It's like, no, you can make your bicep stronger. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You know, but that's just how people are. They, they just see what they want to see. Yeah, exactly. It has to be. Have a, you, have you popped a, popped a bicep yet? I've never had any touch wood, never had any major injuries. I've had a little bit of back pain here and there, but, but no, I, I yeah. do a lot of accessory work. So I do my heavy stuff and then straight into the accessory stuff. Um, yeah. And I'm, I come from a martial arts background as well. So I was pretty mobile and I've, I've maintained that um, throughout. Like I could, I could almost hit the splits now and I've not done that in a, in a while. And yeah, I've just been very lucky. I think I've just been smart with or as smart as i can be with my training so very lucky yeah. not to injured anything yeah yeah you know they, they you know it's it's the more prep work you do the more thought you put into it the more you fill in the gaps yeah just like anything the better off you're going to be yeah that's it i'm a big uh, big believer in balance so actually my favorite thing about training is is writing my own training programs and i love to have every every balance there and and things so yeah hopefully that's gone injury prevention wise yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's big. It's the, a misunderstood thing is people don't realize there's a, there's a lifelong muscle war going on. Even if you don't train, Yeah. you are born and you die with certain muscle groups stronger than the other side. So like your internal rotators at the shoulders, your pecs, uh, your lats, uh, your subscapularis, mm-hmm. you got these big internal rotators. And if you ever see old people walk, how do they walk? Yeah, with their sure. arms winged out, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The elbows winged out. That's their external rotators taken over. Mm-hmm. So even if you never train, so but what do we do? A bunch of benching. What are we doing to, to actually beef up the external rotators? Yeah. So we're already off balance before we start. Mm-hmm. So we need to be programming to make sure that the first thing we do is take care of the, our, the stuff that's genetically weaker. Yeah, you know, and and that's that's a big problem I see in, in training programs today. It's it's just we're not focusing on the right stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, getting more development of the rotator cuff can definitely help because if you look at early when the bench press first came around, everyone was clean and pressing. Yeah. So you had guys that weighed 100, and, well, we'll say 80 kilos that could uh, clean and press. 140 kilos. Well, if you could clean and press 140 kilos, you're probably never going to have a shoulder injury bench. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it makes sense. So if you could clean and press your body weight or more than your body weight before you ever started benching, that's a, that's a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. but anyways, Thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. No worries at all. So people can find you at Strongman Archaeology on the uh, on the on social media, Facebook, and Instagram, and uh, Daily Motion, Daily okay. Motion. That's where instead of YouTube, I've I've had some problems with YouTube that I'm I'm tired of dealing with, and so Daily Motion seems to be more consumer friendly, and they just leave you alone. And uh, so that's what I use instead. But Strongman Archaeology on Daily Motion. 
Perfect. Well, yeah, thanks again for coming on. This has been so insightful, not only with the with the history side of it, but about you and about your philosophies on training. I've I've taken I've taken two full sides of notes in and a lot from <laughs> our conversation. It's just me, me being a you know a nerd in this field. But um yeah, so thanks so much for, for oh yeah. Thanks so much for being on. Thanks so much for for listening, sure, yeah. everybody. And um give us a five-star sure. rating. Um leave us a review. It does really help other people find the podcast. Um and yes. we will we'll, we'll, See you in the next episode. Thank you.